You have no idea what God may call you to do. You say, well, I'm kind of a behind the scenes person. Lord might say, yeah, well, I'm going to put you in front of everybody. That's a new kind of person you're going to be. And you might say, I like to be in front of people. I like to have big crowds watching me. The Lord might say, I'm going to put you behind the scenes now. And another person, he might say, I'm going to give you this gift that you never had before. It's a supernatural gift to someone else who'll do a different thing. But God loves to take what we have and multiply it. Welcome to Harvest with Greg Laurie. This TV show is all about helping you get to know God better because God loves you and God has a plan for you and God wants to transform your life and He's told us everything you need to know about Him and life in general in this book, The Bible, The User's Manual of Life. So we're going to be talking about what the Bible says and what God wants to do in your life. Again, welcome and God bless you. Let me start with a question. Have you ever faced a time in your life where you were isolated and alone? Maybe your friends and family even abandoned you. Maybe your husband or your wife walked out on you. Maybe even your dog left you. Cats always leave you. They've never been your friend. Just deal with that. Or maybe right now as I'm giving this message, you're in a time of difficulty or trial similar to a desert, because there once was a time in your life where you were active, but now you're inactive. Once you were mobile, now you're immobilized. If any of these things resonate with you, and I think this message I'm about to share with you will help, because this is a story of the prophet Elijah storming into the court of the wicked King Ahab and his even more wicked wife Jezebel and throwing the gauntlet down at the nerve center of Israel and telling these idol worshiping people that it wasn't gonna rain. God was gonna withhold the water because of their worship of false gods. And here's where Elijah got his boldness, his courage, his chutzpah, if you will. First Kings 17, one, and Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there will not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. What were the secrets of this miracle working prophet? By the way, he was a human just like you are, just like me. He had his shortcomings and his flaws. We'll see that later. He says it in his opening statement, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. Elijah served a living God. He knew God was alive and powerful and he constantly stood in the presence of God. He understood that wherever he went, the Lord went with him. And so that gave him a courage. And that's something that will give you courage as well. So, When he first walked in, I think that probably Ahab and Jezebel thought he was a joke. How did this guy get past security? Remember, he's kind of wild looking. He's all hairy, dressed strangely. And they're in their beautiful royal robes and and he makes this bold statement. They probably thought, that's such a joke. And then it stopped raining. (laughs) And it wasn't a joke anymore. 
And suddenly Elijah became public enemy number one. Basically the queen and the king put a contract out on him. We gotta get this guy whacked fast because he is a threat to our nation. So what was Elijah to do? It's exit, stage left. The Lord said you gotta get off the grid. No Instagram posts. No tweets, no anything. Nobody needs to know where you are because the Lord said to him in verse two, you've got to hide yourself. By the way, I just read an interesting little article that said one week off of social media can ease your depression and anxiety. One week. And they said you also gain nine hours of free time that you did not have. Think about that. I'm gonna go off social for one week while Elijah was off the grid, nobody knew exactly where he was. Why was he hiding? Because the king and queen wanted him dead, but also because God was getting him into shape for what was ahead. So Elijah went from the palace to the barren wilderness. He went from the throne of power to the desert of obscurity. He's in oblivion, and here's what happened. First Kings 17, verse two. And the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by the Cherith Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Cherith Brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat. Each morning and evening he drank from the brook and after a while the brook dried up and there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. We'll stop there. Okay, if you're taking notes, here's point number one. We learn things in deserts that we don't learn anywhere else. We learn things in deserts we don't learn anywhere else. And when I say desert, I'm using it as a metaphor for a difficulty, a trial, a hardship, whatever it is you might be going through similar to that, but you will learn things in that place. Now when we think of the brook Cherith, we think of a little babbling brook, you know, sort of like Snow White in the forest and the animals are gathered around smiling. No, it wasn't that way at all. Actually, the word cherith means the cutting place. The cutting place. God was getting Elijah ready for his showdown with the prophets of Baal. It was gonna be the shootout at the Carmel Corral. This is gonna be big. And he was gonna have to be almost a different person when that event came with incredible faith. This was sort of like Elijah's boot camp experience. You know, at the beginning of the chapter, he's introduced to us as Elijah from the town of Tishbeth. At the end of the chapter, he is introduced as Elijah, the man of God. Something happened in that cutting place. I wonder if I'm talking to somebody right now, it's in a cutting place or a spiritual desert. You're walking through a valley, but you need to know you're not the only one. But we ask, oh man, come on. Why do I have to go through these valleys? Why do I have to go through these trials? Why do I have to weather these storms? Why can't I just go from mountaintop to mountaintop? Here's the answer, James 1, 2. Brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its work in you that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Number two. God allows trials in the life of the Christian so we will grow up spiritually. Jesus will test us. Oh, you think you know this? You say you trust me? You say that you believe I'm in charge in your life? Here comes the test. Not to make us miserable, not to hurt us, 
to test our faith and strengthen our faith so we'll understand this truth is really true, you see? So we can advance as Christians. Thirdly, God allows hardships to show us his power. Sometimes he'll just allow a, allow a difficulty so he can deliver you from it or even remove the difficulty from you. Now, honestly, there are times we have to go through it and we're not delivered, but then there are times he'll take us out of it all together. And fourth, trials and testings produce a necessary quality in our life. So here now is Elijah in his time of trial by the brook cherub. Now he's gonna get fed every day, how? Ravens, basically, Raven Postmates is the new delivery system. <laughs> Maybe the Lord did it this way so Elijah would have a little companionship. You know, he's all alone out there, nobody to talk to, probably name the birds, oh here they come. Maybe he even started to enjoy it, get them in the morning, yeah, get some water from the brook and wait for the birds to show up and bring me lunch. And then one day, the brook dried up. The brook just dried up, it stopped. See, he had to face the consequences of the plague coming on the land too. Uh, there was a drought and now he's facing the drought. And I wonder if I'm talking to somebody right now who just had their brook dry up. Your bank account isn't as full as it once was. I think that's true for most of us right now with this economy. You had a growing career. Not so much anymore, you had an amazing ministry and it's not what it used to be. Your brook dried up, your career stalled. Things aren't looking so bright as they were before. Your kids left home, which frankly is a relief because they're in their 50s, but still. <laughs> your brook has dried up. But don't despair because God is not done with you yet. God was not done with Elijah. He was just done with this chapter in the life of the prophet. Now Elijah was ready for the next act. He was ready for the next chapter in his life. Everything was going according to plan, God's plan. Jaws, remember that movie? I'm probably the only pastor in America that has this sitting in their office next to a bust of C.H. Spurgeon, but yes, this is uh, a replica of a shark attacking a person. Why do I bring this up? Because I read the most interesting news article a while ago. The headline was, man is thankful he was bitten by great white shark. I'm thinking, how could you be thankful for that? So of course I clicked it, and the story is a man was out swimming and he was attacked by a great white. And so he survived. They rushed him to the hospital. And as they were doing surgery, they saw there was a tumor on his kidney. It turned out to be cancer and they removed the cancer. And uh, the man said, I'm thankful that shark bit me because if I would not have bitten, they wouldn't have seen the cancer. And so he, he was, you know, thankful it happened to him. Uh, they tried to reach a shark for comment, but he was too busy looking for other people to bite, hoping for a positive outcome. <laughs> but is that not a great illustration of how the worst thing imaginable could turn into something good? Romans 8, 28 says, we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Maybe you're going through some kind of hardship right now. Not as bad as a attack by a great wife, but something that's 
hard and difficult and you don't know how any good outcome could come, just remember this. Life can be bad, but God is always good. And God will ultimately, and I use that word intentionally because we may not even see it this side of heaven, but God will ultimately work all things together for good. He doesn't say he'll make a bad thing good. He says he'll work all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So whatever you're going through, look up. From the best-selling author of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, comes Greg Laurie's new book, titled Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, which traces the rise, fall, and sometimes redemption journeys of famous rock gods who are brought to their knees and look up to finally meet the one true God. It's all in the pages of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. You'll discover the excess in self-absorption, but also of sweet salvation in the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Greg uses his own memories, interviews, and observation to draw from the lives of rock legends as they descend to the depths of hell before ascending to the highest heaven. Request your copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus when you give today. So now it's time for chapter 3, or act 3, in the life of Elijah. The Lord was going to expand Elijah's life and grow his faith. First Kings 17, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Elijah, this is after the brook has dried up, go to the village of Zarephath and near the city of Zidon. Now, by the way, uh, the city of Zidon, Zidon was the center of Baal worship. This is where Jezebel, the wicked queen, came from. So the Lord is effectively sending Elijah to Baal Central, which is kind of ironic. And then the Lord says, there'll be a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. He arrived at the gates of the village. He saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, would you bring me a little bit of water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, hey, bring me a bite of bread too. <laughs> I find this humorous. Okay, I'll get you some water. Hey, give me a sandwich too, would you mind? But this woman is so gracious. And think of how Elijah looked. He was strange looking, all hairy. And he comes up to this lady who's basically at the brink of death. She even protests and said, I don't have enough bread to share. I'm out of flour and olive oil to make more. This is my last meal. He's like, yeah, whatever. Just give me some to eat. But it wasn't that way. See, he was testing her. And more to the point, the Lord was testing her. Would she trust God and in this case, the men of God. And she said, yes, and look what happened next, verse 15. She did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour, excuse me, of flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. This was humbling for Elijah. Why? Well, let's be honest. Men, men don't like to be dependent on anyone. Men like to think that we fix things. We're the ones with the answer to the question. We're the ones with a solution to the problems. Now we aren't as often as we think we are. But to go be dependent on a woman, and not just a woman, a widow, and not just a widow, an impoverished widow, and to be dependent on her each and every 
day. But this is the thing I find so impressive about Elijah. It was whatever God told him to do, he just did it. He was just obedient. He was obedient in really little things. It may not seem like a big thing to you to sit by a river and let the birds bring you food. It may not seem like a big thing for you uh, to go and be dependent on a widow. It may not seem like a big thing for you to do some of the things he did, but it was the little things that built up to the big things. If you wanna be used by God, you have to be faithful in little things because of this simple truth. You're never too small for God to use, only too big. Jesus said, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you will not be honest with greater responsibilities. Elijah was so faithful and he was so obedient. And he did this for the Lord. And this woman continued to provide for him. Point number five, God loves to take what we have and multiply it. God loves to take what we have and multiply it. I had so little to offer to God after my conversion. Well, I, I draw these cartoons and that's kind of it, you know. But the Lord was giving me gifts that would develop in time. Ironically, for me to be a teacher is almost a, a laugh. The student that got bad grades is now gonna be a teacher? I think the Lord had a little fun with that one. You have no idea what God may call you to do. You say, well, I'm kind of a behind the scenes person. Lord might say, yeah, well, I'm gonna put you in front of everybody. That's a new kind of person you're gonna be. And you might say, I like to be in front of people. I like to have big crowds watching me. The Lord might say, I'm gonna put you behind the scenes now. And another person, he might say, I'm gonna give you this gift that you never had before. It's a supernatural gift to someone else who'll do a different thing. But God loves to take what we have and multiply it. Like that little boy with the loaves and fishes that he gave to the Lord. Listen, there are three things, that's four. There are three things we can give to God. Time, talent, and treasure. Every one of us can give our time, our talent, and our treasure to the Lord. First, there's our time. We have a given day. Will we dedicate any of that time to the Lord? Will we dedicate any of that time to scripture? Will we dedicate any of that time to prayer? Will we dedicate any of that time to worship and church? Will we dedicate any of that time to sharing our faith with others? You have your time, then you have your talent. And we all have different kinds of talents, don't we? And then God may give you gifts on top of those talents, so we give those to him as well. And finally, there's your treasure, your resources. And I have found that God is faithful to provide for our needs if we will honor him. There's an amazing promise in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, where God says, bring all of the tithes into my storehouse that there may be food enough in my temple. And if you do, listen to this promise. If you do, the Lord says, I'll open up the windows of heaven for you, pour you out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Then the Lord says this, Try it. Let me prove it to you. Don't you love that? Here's what God is saying. Take your income. Always give a percentage of it for the work of the kingdom of God. That's why we have an offering, by the way. Maybe you've wondered, what is this mysterious bag passing by? What is happening? That's for you to invest in the kingdom. You don't have to do it. No one's pressuring you to do it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. But do you realize the blessing 
that can come your way as you're faithful to give to the Lord. Elijah passed every test that God gave him and the widow did too, but now he's gonna face the biggest test so far. First Kings 17, verse 17, after these things. Underline that phrase, after these things. The son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse. He finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, O man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Wow, pretty accusatory. After these things we read, after what things? After Elijah has trusted God with every test that has come his way. After he faced off with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. After he's gone off the grid and waited for the birds to feed, feed him. Uh, after he's been dependent on this poor woman and seen God provide. After these things, the worst case scenario, her son dies. She even accuses Elijah. And when tragedy strikes, sometimes people lash out at God. Why did you th do this to me, God? Why did you let my son or my daughter die? Why did you let my parents die? Why did you let my sibling die? Why did you let this tragedy befall me? Why am we shake a fist in the face of God? It's understandable, we do it. But uh, we need to remember this simple thing. It's not a punishment when a loved one dies. She thinks, why are you punishing me, God? No, sorry to break this to you, people die. The stats on death are pretty impressive. One out of every one person will die, all right? That's why we all need to be prepared for eternity. So it's not a punishment on you. It's life and it's death. And it happens to everyone. The Bible says there's a time to be born and a time to die. But I can understand this woman's pain. As I said earlier, my wife and I have been there. But to her credit, Elijah says, give me your son. He took the hit, by the way. He could have said, why are you yelling at me? I've been here helping you all this time. He just says, I, I, I hear you, okay, give me your son. And she says, here. <laughs> There's something in her that knows that God's gonna intervene still. And I wonder if we could just take those things and give them to the Lord. I'm having problems with my son. He's a prodigal. Why don't you just give him to the Lord right now? I'm having problems with my daughter. She's just, uh, it's just so much drama. Why don't you give her to the Lord right now? I'm having problems with my husband. He's such a loser. Maybe change your attitude and then give him to the Lord. I'm having troubles with my wife, hey, give her to the Lord. My career, give it to the Lord. My minister, give it to the Lord. My anxiety, my fears, give it all to the Lord. That's what she did. What happened next? First Kings 17, verse 21, and he stretched himself over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, oh Lord my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer and the life of the child returned and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure you're a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Wow, this took a lot of faith. Listen to this. You think Elijah was close to God? And he was. God would speak to him, but then the Lord wouldn't speak to him for a while. You say, man, I, I wish God would speak to me like that. Listen to this. 
You are closer to God as a Christian than Elijah the prophet was. And I'll tell you why. Elijah the prophet stood in the presence of God. He was aware of the presence of God. But you have God himself living inside of you because of what Jesus did on the cross. So let me close this message by saying, you can be closer to God than even Elijah was. Yeah, but God spoke to Elijah all the time. He never speaks to me, you say. Uh, question, do you own one of these? By the way, this is called the Bible. Yes. Filled with the words of God. And God will speak to you through the Bible. Maybe God has spoken to your heart and you have seen your need for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to this earth. He was born in a manger. He died in a cross. He rose again from the dead. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. Listen, I'm not talking about religion. I don't want to be a religious person. I don't think you want to be one either. I'm talking about relationship with God. Jesus, who died and rose again, stands at the door of your life and he knocks and he says, if you'll hear his voice and open the door, he will come in. Question, have you asked Jesus Christ to come and live inside of you? You might say, well, I, I think so. I'm not sure. Hey, if someone moved into your house in the middle of the night, do you think you would be aware of it? I'm sure you would. And in the same way, if Christ has come to live inside of you, you will know. And if you don't know, Maybe he has not come in yet. He's just a prayer away. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I want this relationship with you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to go to heaven when I die. Would you like to do that? Would you like Christ to come into your life? If so, why don't you just pray this simple prayer with me? You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But this is a prayer where you're asking Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Pray this with me now. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner, but I know that you're the Savior who died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead. Now come into my life. I choose to follow you from this moment forward. Thank you for hearing this prayer and answering this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you just pray that prayer with me? If so, I want you to know in the authority of Scripture that Christ himself has come to live inside of you. And I would love to send to you, at no charge, something called the New Believer's Bible. It's a very friendly translation of the New Testament. You'll find very understandable. And it's filled with hundreds of notes that I wrote that will encourage you in this commitment you've just made to follow Jesus. Let me send that to you at no charge. And let me be the first to say to you, Congratulations, and welcome to the family of God. Hey, Southern California, Greg Laurie here. You know, there's nothing like gathering together in person to worship the Lord and hear the Word of God. And I want to personally invite you to live worship at our church campuses. There's two you can choose from. Our service times are 9 and 11 in the morning. So join us as we meet both inside and outside every Sunday morning. From the best-selling author of Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon, and Steve McQueen, The Salvation of an American Icon, comes Greg Laurie's new book, 
titled Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, which traces the rise, fall, and sometimes redemption journeys of famous rock gods who are brought to their knees and look up to finally meet the one true God. It's all in the pages of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. You'll discover the excess in self-absorption, but also of sweet salvation and the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Greg uses his own memories, interviews, and observation to draw from the lives of rock legends as they descend to the depths of hell before ascending to the highest heaven. Request your copy of Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus when you give today.